This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. Take a chance to rate us, review us, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Subscribe and get all these podcasts if you're on Apple Music or however you get your podcast uh, brought to you. Tuesday means on the beat. That means I've got Ross Martin live on site and I've got Greg Barnes straight off the golf course gentlemen post Carolina losing the first game of the season uh, Greg I'll start with you first and then Ross I want your opinion how was the press conference I listened to Longo and Bateman I did not hear Max uh, but it seemed like it was quite a different vibe with those press conferences coming off a loss am I wrong there Greg no certainly so um you know, I think we kind of saw that out of Jay last week after the Virginia Tech game. You know, the first two weeks of the season, Carolina's defense looked great. And so he was chipper and, and very happy and uh, a little bit sarcastic in some of his responses. And that was toned down dramatically after the Virginia Tech game and then again today. Uh, and But I think both of the guys were, were very open and honest. Uh, they addressed some issues. They didn't run from anything. Uh, and so I think that's what you want to see. They acknowledge there were some mistakes, uh, acknowledge there were things that they've got to improve upon. And that's really all you can ask. I mean, I, you know, I, I keep going back, and, and Mac touched on this. Um, the people who thought North Carolina was going to run through this season, possibly be undefeated, uh, this team is not there yet. And there's really no evidence to suggest that they were. And so these losses are going to happen. Now we can get into why it happened. Um, but, you know, I think the coaching staff understands that, that things have to improve. They have to learn from each of these games. And the same could be said after each of the first three wins. And as long as you're making those improvements and acknowledging that you made mistakes and being honest with yourself and with the team and with the fan base, that's really all you can ask for. I think we were kind of waiting for this game to happen, whether it was against Virginia Tech or against Florida State or, or some weird game, maybe against State or later on Virginia. But, I mean, we knew this wasn't a top-five team. Mac admitted that today, maybe closer to a top-15 team. And they were exposed in a lot of different ways. They were exposed a little bit against Virginia Tech. And they were exposed against Florida State. And the mistakes, too many mistakes in the Florida State game to come back from. And we don't have as much talent um, as you would need defensively. And some places offensively, you're going to get a result like you got. When you have a pick six, when you miss a field goal, some maybe game uh, time management mistakes, things like that. All those things kind of add up to a loss. And it, look, UNC could have won that game with all those things combined. So they know they're not that far off, even given their shortcomings in certain areas. Yeah, that's a valid point. With everything that went wrong, still had a chance. If you had an opportunity to put the ball in Sam Howe's hand, down three against anybody in the nation, you'd take it. 
and Carolina had that opportunity, it just didn't work out. Greg, one thing that it continues to be a problem is special teams, and Mac did not sound pleased talking about special teams. I mean, you can say it's coached wrong or played, made players made a mistake or whatever, but it, it this is the potential to kill this team. Wait, what happened on the block punts before Greg dives in? Do you know what happened on those block punts, Greg? Yeah, uh, Jason Staples actually put up something this afternoon that kind of really breaks it down, Ross. Mm -hmm. uh, but it looks like on one there was a miscommunication. And then the, the other one, the second one, that, which didn't hurt North Carolina that much, uh, Florida State rushed two guys. And Marvin Wilson just made a great play. Uh, okay. Tamon Fox uh, was kind of blown up in the shield. And Wilson was able to get a hand on the kick. So uh, that's – that's a little bit of scheming, but, you know, with Florida State only rushing two, you should win that one every time, and, and North Carolina doesn't. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things, Tommy, you know, we talked about this last week, and I, and I actually ran a story on it last week. Special teams has had significant issues all season long. I mean, it was an issue last year. And last week when I asked Mac about it, um, he really kind of got to Javon DeWitt's defense saying, look, you know, is a new hire. He didn't have spring ball, uh, didn't have maybe your traditional summer workout exposure that you can do. Uh, and so you're kind of playing catch up from day one. And there's legitimacy in that. I mean, that, that's how this thing has played out. Um, but I think when you talk about having to rely on so many young guys on your special teams, uh, the fact that these keep popping up, I mean, we've talked about a, a, a significant special teams blunder in every game. Um, so it does, it has to be fixed. And I think some of Max frustration is he likes what Javon is, is coaching up. He likes the schemes, the ideas. Um, but I don't know that there's a quick fix. Uh, I, I think, I think this is a slow work in progress type of deal. You try to hide it as best you can. Uh, but I mean, like, like today, Mac was talking about with the fair catches, for example, coaches are not going to say, Hey, you need to fair catch this unless it's like a unique special situation in the game. Like, end of the game, you're trying to kill the clock. You don't want to do anything fancy. Just catch it, you know, take the fair catch and be done with it. But during the course of no normal activities, those guys have to make that decision on their own. You have to trust them. And he said that, hey, you going back and looking at the film, maybe there was more room to run than, than what Daz or Michael thought. Um, and maybe that's something we have to coach them up on. Uh, did that hurt North Carolina? Possibly because you're not allowed to use those guys' running ability in those situations. And so it's really – we're talking about very uh, small things, minutia, if you will. And so that's, that's the challenge is all these, you know, all these rounding things that you have to do, all this polishing that has to take place. It's just a, a gradual thing. Nobody likes to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Mac doesn't like to talk about it. But I think that's kind of where they are. I mean, one thing that's clear, I mean, the field goal kicking – game Grayson Atkins is two for five on the season he's two for two from between 30 and 39 yards he's 0 for two on 40 between 40 and 49 yards he's 0 for one 50 plus I mean we heard about his leg Mac Brownlee says he's a he's an all-american kicker from Furman but I mean he hasn't helped UNC at all missing you know two kicks that you kind of expect you know, on between 40 and 49, you, you probably go one for two is what you expect from that. And, um, you know, he's over three and, and field goals over 40. So they're losing trust in Grayson Atkins now. His confidence is probably pretty low. And that's when you get into even more issues. It kind of compounds with kickers. 
So uh, that's definitely not a positive moving forward because they needed kickers last year and didn't, didn't have success in that area. They brought in a, uh, brought in a transfer to replace um, Noah Ruggles, and, and he's not getting the job done now, Grayson Atkins, that is. Yeah, and so the other part of that, too, is, is not having – I'll project here – not having full confidence in your field goal kicker. I think played out at the end of the game because North Carolina had, what was it? They had a first and 10 at the FSU 42. Change your play, with, play calling, right? Right. They're with a minute yeah. to play. Um, and so, you know, from the 41, that's what, a 58-yarder. So you're looking at typically if you have a good kicker that you trust, all you need is 10 yards there to get in a field goal range. If you can score a touchdown, fine. But you just need the three points to force overtime. Uh, and North Carolina was not playing just to get 10 yards, which says to me uh, they felt they needed to get a lot closer. They needed to score a touchdown to win the game in regulation. Um, and I think that's one of the byproducts of, of having some sketchy play on special teams. Yeah, I, wonder if we'll see, I wonder if we'll see Noah Ruggles, uh, you know, see what happens with that because Mac did not hesitate last year to, to switch kickers mid-game and mid-season. Yeah. yeah, you're right. He, he certainly switched maybe for less last season. And, and what's going on. The, the thing about field goal kickers is they're most of them are all weird. And, and But he's missed everything, Greg, the same way. I mean, he's if my memory serves, I know two of the three misses, he's hooked left. Um, it seems like an easy fix. It's not like he's spraying the ball all over the place. Use your golf skills and uh, tell him to play the hook. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and then what happens? You play the hook, and then you block one, <laughs> block one out right. Then so. you kick one off the stands over there on right. the right side. Let's uh, move on down the line. Let's talk a little bit about the offense. Um, and and I, Ross, I'll come to you. You listened to Phil Longo today. It's sort of the same, similar question that I had about overall. But I felt like watching North Carolina on offense. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they're not good enough to do that yet, I don't think. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, you want the balance. And Longo admitted that they ran the ball heavily in the first half and didn't, you know, pass the ball deep as much, didn't get the wide receivers as involved early. We talked off air about getting Garrett Walson more involved. Uh, that did not happen as much. And they went run heavy, and then they had to play catch-up. Um, and I think you could point to a lot of different errors, like the pick six block punts that, that also put UNC at disadvantage, not taking advantage of the, the interception by Trey Morrison. But, um, yeah, I mean, play calling is always hindsight's twenty twenty. You, you always want to kind of rethink it after. But uh, I think when you have these wide receivers and you have a quarterback like Sam Howe, it has to be balanced because that just helps everybody. And uh, when, the, when the, it wasn't clicking with the receivers, um, they couldn't move the ball very well, and the offense was very stagnant in the, in the first half, I thought. Uh, Greg was there. He might have a little bit of a better idea about the play calling and how they use the, the skill players in the offense. So I'd love to hear what he has to say about, about this. But another thing is wide receivers. I mean, they – Diami Brown, Daz News, and Bo Krause played the vast majority of the game, and I talked about on the boards. They're, they're not getting much from anybody else. Um, saw Antoine Green play a little bit more, Coffrey Brown, but, but like, where's Rontavious Groves? He's just bypassed now. Whereas Josh Brown, Josh Downs guy, we, we heard about so much. So they're, they're leaning heavily on Brown, Newsom, and Corrales. And maybe that could have had some fatigue issues uh, in the second half when they need to make um, plays and make catches when it mattered. 
Greg, let me, before you chime in on that, being there, and Jason harps on this all the time about not being able to see the whole field on the television yeah. production. But for me, watching that game, it looked like the middle of the field was open a lot for North Carolina. Didn't take advantage of it. Um, but what were we missing that maybe we couldn't see on the television as far as separation, anything like that with those wide receivers? I don't know that you're necessarily missing a whole lot. I, I think we're four games in, and so we can, we can kind of start to break down some of these problem areas for UNC. Um, we've got the tape. Everybody has the tape on Sam Howell from last year. And when North Carolina was at its most dangerous, it was because he was completing deep vertical shots down the field. And what we have seen each and every week is that these defensive coordinators said, you know what, you're not going to beat us deep. And so what Florida State did is what a lot of these other teams have done is that they've, they're sending you know, one or two safeties back. And so if, if Sam's going to throw a deep ball, it's going to be challenged. I mean, if you look at some of his longest pass plays, they were two of them to Garrett Walston over the middle on those vertical routes. And then one was the touchdown to Javante Williams. Those are not wide receivers. Uh, those, are, those are guys who take advantage of their matchups, and Sam was able to find them. Um, and so by Florida State – taking away those, those deep balls, you kind of limit yourself uh, some with, with that vertical passing game. And then, as, as Ross mentioned earlier, uh, North Carolina's issues on the offensive line, uh, I mean, consistently Jordan Tucker and Marcus McKeithen have graded out very well on the right side. Uh, the rest of the line, and it, you know, Joshua Zudu didn't play great against FSU. You would think he kind of balances things out a little bit. Uh, but Brian Anderson's you know, grades have not been great. And then Austin Richards had a great game against Syracuse, and his numbers have not been impressive since. And one of the byproducts of that is that uh, North Carolina, as Phil Longo laid out, they've been good in run block. They've been pretty good with, with play action where you're, mm -hmm. you're faking the run. But when it's obvious passing down, when this is straight drop back, that's where UNC's offensive line has struggled the most, and that's been problematic. And so what FSU did was, okay, we're going to take away the deep pass which uh, Phil Longo utilizes the same mindset that Larry Fedora is, is if they're going to take away something, that's fine. We'll do something else. So that brings in the, the running game. And all FSU was trying to do was saying, look, we're going to take away the deep ball. We're going to try to get the third down. We're going to try to force an obvious passing down on third down, with the third and six, third and seven, whatever. And then we're going to take our chances getting after Sam Howe because we know he's going to have to pass on that play. UNC was one of eight on third downs in the first half. Uh, and he also had the, the pick six and that little swing pass, which was, I think it was a little bit telegraphed. Um, but that's, that's what Florida State's plan was, and it worked. You, you tip your hat to them, and then, of course, FSU was able to score offensively, and the game really got away from UNC there at halftime. And, look, I mean, Phil Longo knows they need to work on pass protection. He mentioned that. He was asked about that, and he talked about, in order for the deep passing game to work, you have to protect. And Sam is so much better when he obviously has time and can set his feet. He's not throwing the run. He, can, he has a couple of seconds to, to make a good decision. So if you're going to have a, a team that relies on the passing game, you're going to have to have offensive line that can protect for that and, uh, and maybe put another running back back there, maybe another tight end, and go all out to, to make the deep passing game work. And obviously at times it did not work for UNC against Florida State. Yeah, and Tommy, uh, Ross mentioned a few minutes ago about Toe Groves and Josh Downs not seeing a lot of action, right? We've talked a lot about this year about Daz Newsom not being enough of a presence on the offense. What position do those guys play? 
It's all slot. the same thing. Slot. Same yep. position. Um, and so that kind of gets to your point off the air, Tommy, that uh, you, there is some availability over the middle. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, Walston and Javante had those three big catches because Florida State's strength is in the secondary. Um, but if you can get matchups over the middle with either a linebacker or one of those safeties coming up, you have to feel pretty good about those opportunities. Uh, and so, you know, that's one of the things that, that Longo is going to have to look into is, is that an area that he can exploit? And obviously he, he's looking at those kind of things, trying to figure that out. Um, and Longo mentioned having a lot of skeleton passing plays uh, that are there and that are available, but you have to block well enough to give Sam Howell time to, to make those throws. Yeah, Greg almost touched on that there with, with Longo. I mean, he mentioned just getting the ball out quick, you know, focusing a little bit more on that to getting it to your skill players with, with grass to run. And that's what the air raid is, but maybe some shorter routes with Daz, with Josh Downs, the Groves, just crossing plays. I mean, I remember some of the defenses under Larry Fedora's staff, I mean, crossing routes would just kill the, the defenses. I mean, if you can get Daz to get a little bit of separation and get him in space going across, I mean, that should be – a big part of your offense when you have those type of athletes and you have a quarterback who can make one read and go. I mean, that's, that's football one-on-one. I mean, I'm no offensive coordinator, but that seems like, that seems like a, would be a great option for UNC when these deep plays aren't working. Yeah. I'm missing, am I missing something there? Is that, is that not been working? Is that not been no, happening? I mean, oh, Florida, specifically against Florida state, their linebackers were terrible. The defensive line was good, but hadn't played well. And their secondary was stout. Like I said off the air, and I'll say it again, Garrett Walston should have had seven or eight catches for 150 yards. And that's why I thought Carolina would run Florida State out of the building is because I thought they would do that over and over and over with Walston, with Javante, with Michael Carter. And they didn't. I mean, they did it some. But, you know, we can talk about specific play calling. Uh, going at Asante Samuel, Greg, on a fade route on third and three, that, that's, that's just not – that can't happen. And so that's the one – that's the beef I have with the play call and a specific play call. Yeah, and a, a couple things. Number one, I love the fact that Mac Brown is paying attention to the analytics. And he said, you know, if he's got really anything inside of fourth and four, especially on the opponent's side of the field, he's going to go for it because that's what the analytics say. I love it. And so on, on fourth and one at the 25, what do you do? And, Tommy, we, we've been through this a lot with Fedora. If you've got a good back, if you've got Javante Williams or Elijah Hood, fourth and one, give him the ball. If they stop him, you tip your hat. And so I know a lot of people maybe didn't like the formation. End of the day, you gave Javante the ball on a fourth and one. You do it ten times. The reason that play did not work, as Mac told us today, is because Florida State had better leverage, and they beat UNC off the ball. That's not a play call. That's execution. Um, now, with the, the third, third and three, uh, you know, against maybe an average cornerback, you can do that. Um, and maybe even if you, if you throw it to Bo, because Bo is a great athlete. He's, he's long. He's tall. Uh, maybe your odds are better there. But, but throwing it to Diami against uh, Samuel, uh, that's just not a high percentage play. And it, it looked bad from the start. So I'm, you know, I'm traditional when it comes to that kind of thing and say, hey, you line up and, and you run it twice. But like Ross said, it's, it's a lot easier to say this on, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback type deal, right? And it makes yeah. it pretty easy. But, you know, the, the fact that they went for it 
people think that's an issue. Uh, and there's always going to be some play calls that, that people don't like. But certainly that, that one more than most stood out to me as one that you, you probably love to have back. Greg, what do you think Max Analytics Department looks like? Oh, it could be great. I mean, you think Ken Browning and Sparky Woods yeah. are there crunching the numbers? <laughs> I don't think it's the old guys there that are his advisors. I wonder <laughs> if it's some student, some volunteer student manager who's, you know, part-time analytics for – we'll see. So well, That's what it was with the baseball team, and that kid got right famous mm-hmm. um, for doing that. Yeah, I mean, play calling is easy to nitpick. The thing about Javante and Michael Carter, and I can't find the stats right now for the Florida State game specifically, but going into the game, they had negative six yards – between them like six yards lost between them going into the game they lost that in the first quarter against Florida State just a different beast Florida State's defensive line before I go to break let's talk about the defense a little bit Jay Bateman like you mentioned early Greg Jay Bateman little little less chipper after these things but he said something and I want to get your take on it that talking about Chaz Surratt I mean I don't know how you I'm not sure how you balance the if a team misses, misses 19 tackles, that means guys were in the right spot, right? They just missed a tackle. But he told – he talked about Chaz. Chaz just explodes to the ball and then misses a tackle. And he said, he said you got to be – what did he use – what term did he use talking about attacking the football? Do you remember? Because I can't remember right this second. Freely admit. Uh, it's a pace yourself to the ball. There it is. And I thought it was a yep, great quote. I wrote quote. it down. Pace yourself to the ball. I think that is where Chaz has struggled a lot. He struggled mightily, especially trying to get Jordan Travis on the ground. Uh, how does he learn from that, Greg? Just repetition. And, again, it goes back to the fact that I mean, last you know, we've talked about this a lot right in the offseason. Why did Chaz have the great year he had last year? A large part of it was because he had two horses in front of him on the defensive line, made his job a lot easier. Yeah, those guys are not there right now, and so he's he's having to work around traffic, and offensive linemen are keen on him, and that's exactly what Virginia Tech did. They were trying to once the offensive lineman got off the line, they were trying to find him and trying to get him out of his angles that he wanted to take, uh, and so he didn't have spring ball, he didn't have a lot of summer workouts that he typically would have, and so it's just a learning process. You know, he, he's only been playing linebacker for really a year and a half now, probably less than that. Uh, with COVID and all those kind of things. So um, he's a great athlete. I think he has good instincts. But you know, we saw it a lot last year. I mean, he had a ton of missed tackles last year for the same reason. He'd, he'd get to a play and he'd overrun it just a hair. And against, as Max said, against good quality offensive playmakers, you better get there square and you better get there hard. And if you're not doing it both, then you're going to have some issues in terms of bringing the guys down. Um, the fact that uh, – Florida State's quarterback broke six tackles. You, you give him a lot of credit for that. But that's also on UNC's defenders not being able to bring him down. You're certainly seeing Surratt scheme for. I mean, everybody knows who he is now. He's been on every preseason watch list. Last year, I mean, Mac Brown was super worried about him entering the South Carolina game. So every uh, offense coordinator knows who he is, wants to know where he is, and then they're scheming for that. I think what we're seeing now on, on defense, we can get more into this after the break, but – I don't think UNC has the athletes and the talent this year on defense. I just think there's a pretty big gap from where they want to be. It's not really an elite pass rusher. The defensive line is, is not elite at all. Bohasic and Fox are good. I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're excellent. They're, they're good, maybe above average. But behind them, there's, there's not much at all. And we can see that by the snap counts. They don't trust 
anybody anybody else but those two. Jewel Taylor played 10 snaps. So you've seen how much they really rely on him. Um, yeah, there's some secondary. There's some players in the secondary, but they're, they have some depth issues now as well. So I think we're really seeing uh, uh, the talent gap after losing Strobridge and Crawford and the lack of pass rush and, and really elite players in the defensive line, which UNC should get, I think, in, in two, you know, one or two years when those freshmen and sophomores develop. Yeah, we, we'll talk about the talent issue all year, I'm sure, but he's got to piece it together. Greg, did they have any idea – Like Greg, if you're watching on YouTube, Greg, uh, partaking. Greg, did – I am ready. Fire. Did they have any idea that Trey Morrison would be as good as he's been? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the staff. Yeah, the staff. I mean, this, yeah. this kid has played unbelievably, at least from my eyes. Yeah, in, you know, in training camp. Good go ahead, Greg. Sorry. Go ahead, Ross. I just think it'd be interesting to ask Don if Don knew how good he was going to be, too, because look at his recruiting profile. I mean, he's the number 69th ranked athlete, number 808 nationally. So this guy wasn't, I mean, he was a, a lower tier three star. Uh, so not certainly not a big name recruit. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah. Well, and his, his freshman year played nickel, obviously. And as much praise as Patrice Renee got that year, uh, Morrison graded out higher than Renee did. And so I think we kind of saw from, from the beginning that the kid was talented. Um, I, last year was interesting because you're talking to Mac Brown. He, he mentioned numerous times about how Trey's size was, was a concern because he's not a big kid. But that seemed like that was really the only concern they had with him playing the nickel slot. But, I mean, the fact that he's the guy, given the injuries in the secondary and the attrition, I mean, they can play him anywhere. He's played corner. He's played nickel. He's played safety. Um, and not only that, but he's really good. And one thing Jay Bateman said is, and this is one of the intangibles that you can't really see when you're talking about talent scouting, right? You can, you can see how tall guys and how good his hips are and all those kind of things. But Jay said that you know, during the game, they didn't like how Trey uh, defended one particular play, and they told him. And after that, it was never an issue again. And a similar play is what he got his interception on. So the fact that you know, he's, he's a smart guy, uh, they can say, look, you need to do this instead of this, and he does it immediately. Uh, I mean, that, that's a blessing to have a guy like that in the secondary. And, um, I mean, Trey, we heard a lot in training camp about how Trey was having the best camp of anybody defensively. And, and that's played out thus far on the field. He loves football. I mean, I just remember, like, he just loves – we asked if he was going to opt out, if there's any idea if he wanted to opt out. It's just a kind of a basic question back in uh, September, August, September. He goes, no. I mean, if, I, if there's football to be played, I'm going to play it. I mean, this guy loves football, eats, drinks, sleeps football, and Bateman freaking loves him too. The love affair with, uh, with Trey Morrison. <laughs> Ross, do you think Trey likes football more or doing media interviews more? <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely a better uh, defensive <laughs> back than he is a uh, media question answer. All right, guys. <laughs> Tommy has given me the reins for the Johnny T-shirt read. I went hiking yesterday in Colorado. My hands got cold. You know what I needed? Gloves. Ears were getting cold. You know what I needed? Toboggan, a hat. I need multiple layers. I wish I had, like, a, a long-sleeve UNC shirt, a sweatshirt, and a jacket. You know, I can get all those things for winter weather. Johnny T-shirt, giantt-shirt.com. Get all your gear. It's getting colder here. It's getting colder in Chapel Hill. Get a nice sweatshirt. Get a nice hat. Get a nice gloves. 
uh, go to johnnytshirt.com or, or in store uh, on Franklin Street, Johnny T-shirt. Use the 10% off discount code and shop for all their UNC gear, UNC needs, tailgating stuff, anything you need um, for your friends and family, Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Their support of us helps us do um, these podcasts, which obviously gives you great content, great things to listen to. So support them. If you're going to buy Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, engagement gifts, all that stuff, go to Giant T-Shirt and make the purchases. Tell them Inside Carolina sent you and use that 10% off discount code. Only available to Inside Carolina subscribers. How's that, Tommy? Hey, man, you, you were born to read. Born to add now- read. And now we're going to go to some national ads. We'll be back to talk about NC State this weekend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back on the Beat Podcast. Ross Martin, I was about to let Ross take it over fully. <laughs> That's right. And I was going to check it out. we got Greg Martin, Ross Barnes. I'm your host, Tom. Ross Barnes. <laughs> Greg Martin, Ross Ross. Martin. Greg Martin. <laughs> Stop. We got, I'll get tickled in this over. Uh, guys, we got a big ball game coming up for North Carolina this weekend, noon on Saturday. I think it's on ESPN now. I think they made that move. Yeah, 12 o'clock. NC State and North Carolina. Ross, you going to be back in town for this one? Yep. I'm all in. Hey, all in. So, Greg, State loses their quarterback. Had been playing well, loses their quarterback, Bailey Hockman, who has not played really well, but obviously has some talent. How does North Carolina bounce back? What's the mindset this week in practice? They always say, you know, you leave the past behind. Does it really happen for a young team uh, that was fifth ranked last week? That's, that's the great question for this week is you know, this is their first real disappointment of the year. And uh, you've got to be able to bounce back and you've got to be able to forget it. You know, coaches always talk about whether it's a win or a loss. You take the rest of the day on Saturday, you got to midnight, enjoy it, live it up, pout, cry, whatever you need to do to get over the game. And on Sunday, you have to flip the script. And that's really what the coaching staff is going to be paying attention to this week. And Mac brought up a good point. I mean, if you look at North Carolina's next four weeks, they're all rivalry games. I mean, it's NC State, it's Virginia, it's Duke, it's Wake Forest. And so <laughs> – you really have this situation where you have to help the team peak emotionally each week uh, to get up for these games because all four of those teams want to whoop UNC's rear end, right? Um, But you can't have them operating at a high clip emotionally the entire time. So you really have to kind of dial back the the gas a little bit. And then as you get closer to the game time, rev it up some more. Uh, And that's a challenge. And that's something that the coaching staff has to do. That's something that the, the team leaders have to do, um, which, which will be which will be difficult. And so I think it's really an emotional uh, test more than anything. I mean, Bale Hockman's uh, fine. I mean, you know, Devin Leary, the, the, the turnaround that he has had has been tremendous. So I hate to see that kid out. I think that would have been a great game if he played. Uh, North Carolina's going to be a, a pretty big favorite. But, you know, NC State is probably going to do what Florida State did, which is be very physical. 
North Carolina did not appear ready for that physicality on Saturday. We know that's what Dave Doran is going to get his guys to do, especially guys like Peyton Wilson back there. Um, so you have to be emotional. You have to be tough. And if you match NC State in those areas, then I think the talent takes over. Greg, were you surprised that Jay Bateman was raving about Bailey Hockman? No. Not at all. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, yeah, that's all, that's all I got, Tommy. Well, well you, <laughs> you want me to go to Greg then? Greg, you mentioned the physicality of it. I mean, that was an issue when Larry Fedora was at North Carolina. NC State pushed Carolina around other than a couple times. Um, but last season, Carolina had the best of state. So do you think there's any concern in the coaching staff worrying about the players being ready, especially after coming – because Florida State – you go back and watch the trenches in that game. Florida State whipped North Carolina quite a bit. So did Virginia Tech on the defensive side or, or their offensive line on Carolina's defense. I, I mean, after two weeks, I can't imagine these guys haven't learned that now we're in the heart of ACC football and this is how it's going to be. Yeah, you would, you would think they would know that. Um, but we'll have to see. I think having Azudu back does solidify the offensive line. Um, I know they weren't exactly great against FSU, but to be fair, FSU's defensive line played better than they had all year long. So give them credit for that. Um, I don't know how much of a role that played, but, but clearly it played some. Uh, and so you have, to, you have to coach up the toughness aspect. I think, as Ross said, the defensive line this year um, is it's adequate. It's, it's not special. And so State's going to do what they can to, to take the ball out of Hockman's hands as much as they can mm -hmm. um, and really run the ball. And by doing that, you've got some good backs. Donovan Knight's had a great year. Um, you, can, you can not only move the, move the ball in that regard, but that also runs out some clock, and that limits the opportunities for Sam Howell to take the field. I think that's what you're going to see with NC State. And then, again, kind of like what Florida State did, if you can limit the deep passing plays and you can get, get a couple situations where you're in obvious passing downs, then you can get after Howell. Um, I mean, there's an opportunity there for, for State to have success. And that's kind of where you get to. If, you, if you're tough on those opening downs offensively and you can grind out some yardage and get into a third and three or third and four, all of a sudden that's not an obvious passing down and you've got a lot of options. Um, I do think North Carolina's going to have to score points. So that, that side of the ball is, is kind of a key component. How well does that offensive line hold up? Because I do think State's defense um, is going to be stout. It's going to be tough. But I think their, their offense and their ability to run the ball is going to be a kind of a bigger issue for UNC overall. I think if you step back, you know, all the XO stuff, and there's a couple storylines here you want to look at. I mean, State's riding high. I mean, they've won the last three, last four, last four, right? Yeah, so they're top 25. They're riding high. They feel pretty good about themselves. And now UNC's coming off a loss. So, you know, what's the psychology there? They're probably going to have a pretty good week of practice. They didn't have any injuries against Florida State. So they're healthy, uh, you would think, other than probably some, some you know, bruises and, and, and nicks and whatnot. So they're going to be at full strength pretty much other than Storm Duck. It's a good week of practice. And then you have this kind of in-state rivalry factor. I mean, there's tons of guys on State's roster that UNC passed over. And that's going to be what the coaches are going to tell them. They're going to tell them that, that you got passed over by, State, by, by UNC. Play like that. You know, use that as motivation, you know, whatever it takes to motivate them. Then you have some players that obviously pick State over UNC. Peyton Wilson, Ali McNeil, some of their better defenders, some of the people on the defensive line. And then you have this whole 
diamond Dave, hand in the dirt mentality, blue collar mentality, and that happens in the trenches. So you're going to have the run game, which Greg mentioned, which is a weakness for UNC, defending the run, which is a strength for NC State. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, I think there's definitely some players on NC State's defensive line, which can probably beat some of the players on UNC's offensive line. I mean, Aline McNeil, I had no idea he was that big when I saw him take that pick six in, or it was a fumble or one of those two. I mean, he's massive. I remember him. He wasn't above 300 when, when he was a recruit. He was more of like a 280 type guy. I mean, he looks about 330. So they got some guys now, and they're, they're, they're a lot better than I think a lot of people thought. I think a lot of fans and media went to the season thinking, you know, they might have to get to four or five wins to just save Diamond Dave's job. Um, but now four wins, riding high, top 25 team, and they're, they're going to be one of the hunted now. Um, so a lot, a lot of interesting kind of fan media dynamics without getting too into the nitty-gritty there. That's yeah. what I hope to provide you talk with there, Tommy. Yeah, it was good. That's good stuff. <laughs> so a couple things. Number one, I mean, if we go back to 2018 in North Carolina's – you bad year there uh, that welcomed in Mac Brown. You, the talking point that whole year, including the year prior, was injuries for North Carolina. And so we talked about when Mac was hired how things were set up for him to have a good year in his first year because he's getting a lot of those guys back. And they weren't going to have near as many injuries to deal with. And that's what we saw. Now, what was the difference? Sam Howell. I mean, you've got a legit quarterback that comes in and it's great. So you get guys healthy, you get a quarterback in there, all of a sudden you're a good team. Well, what happened to State last year? They were decimated with injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then you Leary, you credit him for the offseason that he had, but now you've got your defense back because everybody's healthy, and you've got a quarterback. It's the same thing that happened for UNC last year. Um, now you lose Leary, so that changes things a little bit, but kind yeah. of the same arc. The other thing, too, as we talked this all season about 2020 more than any other year, we're not going to know who's good until we get into the season. And so you look at Wake Forest and State beats Wake in week two, 45-42. We're like, oh, Wake stinks. They're not any good. Well, what happened to them in week one? They lost 37-13 to to Clemson, which looks like a pretty good score right now, <laughs> given how good Clemson is. And then you look at State being 4-1. and one, and what Wake – I mean, Wake just laid it on Virginia last weekend. Um, so, Wake looks pretty good now, better than a lot of people thought. To Ross's point, State looks a lot better. I mean, that was a, that was a big win over Wake. Uh, they beat Pitt, who I think is a pretty yeah. good team, even though they struggled. So, um, we're, we're just now learning who the good teams are. And I, I, think, I think right now State's earned the right to be in that discussion. Losing their quarterback certainly hurts, though. And, look, they're going to want to get revenge for what happened last year, too. I mean, there's just so yeah. many motivational factors here for NC State. I mean, Peyton Wilson probably hates Carolina for um, how much he's been blasted on Twitter by guys like Tommy going in and talking, talking junk to him on Twitter. Not me. <laughs> I don't talk junk about 18-, 19-year-old kids. I saved that for uh, – we, we've got ones that handle that. Um, <laughs> uh, bringing up that, over-under, Greg, on how many shots Sam Howe takes. <laughs> oh, He's taking some hard hits this year. He um, look, I tweeted it when it happened. That is one tough sob. Yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about his quarterbacking skills. He's he's better. He's tougher than he is a good quarterback. Yeah, and mm. I mean, what what has State done over the years? I mean, they knocked Brent Leonard out of the game. Yep. Uh, they went after Marquise. Um, that's that's kind of what they do. And I mean, to be fair, uh, I mean, would never encourage dirty play, but. If you, if you want to have a chance to beat North Carolina, 
you make Sam Howe fill it. Yep. Florida State did it. Yep. That's right. And um, so State will do that in terms of cheap shots. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, the fact that Justin Fuente defended Dax Holyfield after a two-hand shove to Sam's head when he's kneeling at the end of the game um, <laughs> kind of speaks to what some coaches believe should take place. And we'll have to wait and see how uh, the Wolfpack handled that. What, what about the line? The line's, what, 18? That's yeah. insane, isn't it? It, it is, and I think that's a, a direct – a couple of things. Number one, is Carolina coming off a loss. It's, it's Leary getting hurt. Yeah. Um, but, that yeah, that seems like easy money to me right now. Take State. Stake oh, yeah. the points. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's open to 18, down to 16 and a half, 16 in some books. UNC is one and two as double-digit favorites this year, and that one was a backdoor cover against Syracuse. Yeah, what were they favored against Florida State? 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. A lot of people took a bath on that one. It's been on the Beat Podcast, hosted or sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Hosted by me, Tommy Ashley, Ross Martin, and Greg Barnes. Inside Carolina Beat Writers have joined me. Hope you all enjoyed it. And Greg, uh, Ross, I hope you all enjoyed joining me. Yep, this is uh, Greg Martin signing out. And Ross Greg Barnes, Martin and Ross your Barnes. time in Colorado. Call me RB. I'm John Siegley. We'll talk to you <laughs> next time. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.